You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be a driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant and executive coach and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And this week, I'm so excited about this episode because it's it was my I'm I'm posting the first live recording of She's Got Drive in as much as and I know they've done the Apollo and I launched the Apollo but this one I was working in DC and staying at the Eaton Workshop Hotel which big shout out to the Eaton Workshop Hotel which is one of the best hotels in DC I, I haven't stayed at, stayed at every hotel in DC of course but I love Eaton and if you're if you love a good vibe if you love beautiful space if you love social justice if you're committed to things that matter to to things like environment um anything around social justice and um leveling the playing field they're an organization is committed to that and um and I love staying there. So it's a new new um, hotel that opened last September. I'm giving it a big shout out. I love staying there. So, uh, and and they've got a recording studio. And Jamil Hamilton, big shout out to Jamil um, for letting us uh, take a moment out of uh, our schedule to record a She's Got Drive live Um interview that was live on Facebook and um and so I'm gonna I'm posting that this week now why would I do that because I was working in DC with my friend colleague and um Martha Cuffey who I've known for ever and um and she has known Leslie for 11 years and uh Leslie happened to be in DC at the same time as us and Martha connected with her and then I met her and I was like she's so extraordinary it'll be great to interview you would you be willing she said yes and then we spoke to Jamil he said yes he found us a slot in a time that worked whilst we were around my facilitation schedule like I haven't got enough to do but it was so it was just one of those moments that I didn't want to lose and I didn't have my recording equipment with me, which I normally travel with, but I didn't. But here we have a recording studio in the hotel and and that's what we've got today. So I'm excited. You can hear, you're going to love uh, her and and I'm going to say why you're going to love her. You know, apart from the fact she's just a wonderful woman. But, you know, she is someone who was chosen to be one of the inaugural class for the Obama Foundation um, African Leaders. Uh, I think it was a year or so ago when the inaugural class started. She was then invited to facilitate the Mandela Forum between Barack Obama and Nelson Mandela's widow, Grata Mattel, who, who, (laughs) the fact that she was invited to do that says something about her. And that was happening in D.C., just a few nights after I interviewed her. And that's one of the reasons why she was in DC, of course. And 
she's this amazing woman she's she she's the founder of the impact hub in johannesburg and the impact hubs are there's a hundred of them around the world where they're um spaces where um they're kind of like co-working spaces with social enterprise and social good at the heart of it and it's a space we can bring people together with a common interest in transforming the planet on a number of um, issues she was also the founder of i am africa in 2015 in a need born out of a need to address the xenophobia in south africa so she felt a need to facilitate ordinary people to have to deal with this extraordinary circumstances that was happening she is currently the ceo of i'm going to pronounce this i don't ever pronounce this is right but chimolongon precinct a wits university initiative that propels skills development and employability and entrepreneurship in the digital economy through collaboration with provincial government corporates and entrepreneurs and she also has her own consulting company she is an extraordinary woman, having spent the last 19 years in, in international experience in designing ecosystems and networks, as well as developing hubs. She, was, she sat on the executive committee of the International Impact Hubs organization as well. Can you see why I couldn't let her leave DC, me leave DC without interviewing her? And so if it wasn't for Eaton workshop it wouldn't have necessarily been possible but I feel so grateful for that you're going to love this interview with her um so I'm just gonna go straight to it straight to interview the interview with Leslie and I'll see you on the other side we're live doing this is my first live she's got drive podcast um going live so I'm oh, really wow. excited yeah it's the first time no my first live and at Eaton DC we just happen to be I'm staying here you happen to be in town from from Johannesburg South Africa yeah so and then Martha's introduced us Martha is a yeah we got Martha, <laughs> we, got Martha we got Martha and um and so this is a really opportunity, seizing the opportunity to spend time with you and spend time finding out more about you and how you got to do what you're doing and the important work that you've been doing in the world, right? And then what's next? Yeah. Yeah, and exploring like what's the source of your success and how you um like what what the lessons that you've learned yes. as well. So that's kind of all of, that's the what that's the kind sure. of conversation that I have with my guests and it's really awesome that you've been able to spend some time tonight. I think it's also I think like pretty cool that it's just spontaneous meeting of minds yeah and yeah an incredible conversation yeah yeah it was good so we met yesterday for the first time and um and there was a lot of vibing going on and and so yeah that's that's also what's kind of led us to be sitting yeah. here too like um and, and here's an opportunity for anyone who doesn't know that um, there's this recording space in Eton and mm. this is awesome hotel. Big shout out to the hotel. Yeah. Um, and the people in, who work here who are just Jamil. Big shout out to Jamil. Um, and so really. Yeah. I think there was a magical moment in the corridor of the hotel yesterday. Yeah. That I think 
was uh, a container for the kind of work that we, I guess, we do in various ways and forms. Mm-hmm. We had a, an, an entrepreneur, um, yeah, a young entrepreneur, an emerging entrepreneur, Norma, Norma Young. Yes. And all of us just came together as a community of women looking at where and how we can support her. And that was not curated as such. No. It was mm-hmm. us just loving our intention, supporting, being who we are. And it meant so much to her. Yeah. And I think that's the magic of the work, but also the hotel eaten as a container for that to happen yesterday. I think it's just yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the reasons for She's Got Dry, there's many reasons for She's Got Dry podcasts, but one of them is about women supporting women through their stories, women yes. supporting women to be their best selves, to excel, to succeed through learning about how other women have done it. And so that exchange is, was also about, this is information that I have that might be useful. These are some questions that, I, that you could consider. Um, yeah. um, may I be so bold <coughs> as to suggest, you know, certain things like that, that has us stand for one another in a different way, mm. rather than be like, oh, you're good. You, you'll, you'll figure it out, yeah. you know. So, I, yeah. I and I think that. like we... I like that because we don't lose anything by giving. In fact, I think it enriches mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Like we walked away with the feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and you know, I think that comes from uh, having often an abundance mindset. I think, especially in this transition time of change, um, it's a, uh, it's the, the moment where we where we move away from scarcity. Yeah, thinking, and I think you know the the world is modeled around scarcity. Absolutely, and, uh, we need to be intentional about shifting that. Yeah, and the the other vision that I've had around she's got drive and why is like this vision for a network of women really powerfully supporting one another, and yeah, so from a place of as you speak from a place of abundance like there's in there's more than enough for all of us if we can like hold that for one another you know like versus i like for someone like i've got there but i don't have to support you with getting there you know yeah. it's, it, which is a scarce mentality yeah like how do we make sure there's a critical mass of black women like succeeding in the fields that they're choosing rather than settling for one or two people succeeding mm. And um, and so I'm excited about uh, finding out more about you and how what what your journey has been, and then to kind of explore and project what your journey is next. Yeah. Did you know like sure. what I mean? Yeah. As we surmise, ah. we can surmise what uh, a journey is next. Uh, so yeah. So let's. Um, so why don't you share with us? What have you like? What do you do, and 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 how did you get to be in <coughs> being here? Sure. So the cough, I have a scratchy voice, so please highlight when you can't hear me. So my my main job right now is uh, that of CEO of um, Wits University's Chimolohong Precinct. It's a bit of a tongue twister. It's an African word. Chimolohong means a place of new beginnings. Mm. And we've kind of put a spin on it. We say a place of digital beginnings. Okay. And um, for short, it is pretty much a, a Silicon Valley, if you like, in downtown Johannesburg. 
So what that means for us is that um, we are trying to grow and build a digital innovation ecosystem, mm -hmm. um, really making sure that we are solving local African problems, but using global market mechanisms and taking uh, local solutions globally. Okay. So we support tech entrepreneurs. Um, we work with um, with unemployed youth, uh, teach them fundamentals of coding, but then through opportunities like animation um, development. And in fact, it's it's quite interesting that there's about a, th a shortage of about fifty thousand animators globally. You're kidding. Yes. And like the best of the crop in South Africa is being invited into large studios around the world. What? So we want to grow. And the basics you need is to be able to draw. You know, so that for me is a huge part of our work, looking at digital skills, mm -hmm. but solving real, real problems. So we work with provincial government with a bunch of multinational um, companies. For example, one of IBM's uh, 12 research labs around the world is based on our premises. Mm -hmm. Siemens has a space. Uh, we work with academia. We are born out of university. And then uh, entrepreneurship is at the heart of everything we do. So it is quite that, that ecosystem mm -hmm. that provides opportunity to, to great shifts around various problems. And how long have you been doing that? How long has this sure. ecosystem been in development and how long have you been involved sure. in it? So I've been the CEO for one and a half years. In fact, okay. I got a Facebook pop-up and I was six months acting COO before that as a consultant. So I've okay. been there for two years. Um, it has been in development since about 2012, 2013. Okay. And uh, myself and the, the founder, Professor Barry Dolaski, just developed a, a huge friendship because we both had the interest in, in creating intentional hubs and shifting the neighborhood of Bromfontein. So I'm also the initial founder of Impact Hub Johannesburg, which right. was a five-minute walk away from my current, <laughs> my current job. And um, that work for me is, is look at where and how do we support change makers. Okay. Now, when I started that in, in fact, I, I did start setting up Impact Hub Johannesburg in 2009. Number one, we were the first official hub in South Africa, official hub and co-working space. And um, the market is quite immature in terms of understanding what social entrepreneurship is. Mm -hmm. So even though the reason why I actually set it up is because as a, as a facilitator creating communities of intentional dialogue and, and, and process shifts, I realized that people would come to sessions and be fully inspired and supported, mm -hmm. but they'd go out into the world and would be separate from their source of inspiration and they wouldn't yes. have the tools and, and allies to continue their work. Right. So for me, the importance of creating hubs and creating physical spaces for this work is that there is a place where people can have the tools to get to work together. Right. So in terms of them working with peers who are envisioning similar things, but will have a support network to enable them to take it to wherever the next level is yeah. for them. So yeah. both of that. So did you speak a bit more about the heart impact hubs? Because... There might be some people who've never heard about an impact hub, and I know there's been a there's a hundred or so sure, now yes. around the world. But yes, so they've I, been going. Like, when did it start, and then how did you get involved what, in here? Well, a few hub? people. So Impact Hub is a global network of co-working spaces of people who want to create change in society right. or create social impact, as such. So and and I met the initial founders in 2002. What a few people know is that. Some of those initial meetings of mine happened in Soweto in South Africa. Did they? Yes. Because huh. <laughs> the first one was in... Was it Islington? Was in, in Islington. So yes. I made the assumption that it happened in yeah. London, but no. Yeah, so, so that was the first official one in, in London, but a lot of the prototype 
and the thinking huh. and the modeling took place in South Africa. Nice. So I met Jonathan Robinson and, a few, and Kate and a few other of the other initial um, founders when when they were working in South Africa with the World Summit for Sustainable Development, mm-hmm. working on an on an event. They were invited by the UN to to set up an event around uh, sustainability. Right. They realized that a lot of the the key work was happening in the the financial district, and it was away from the everyday person. It was in a super high end. Um, neighborhood where we kind of like hide the poor when international guests um, come to town Mm -hmm. and uh, the language of sustainability was not mainstream so through networks that I was also part of like um, Pioneers of Change and ISEC they um, got connected to a community project in in Soweto and and, um, there was a social entrepreneur Mandla who converted his, his home to a computer center where he was teaching young people on the basics of using a computer but for me, that was an actual hub because many projects came from that. Right. So um, food kitchens, a drum cafe, um, neighborhood waste company came from his home. And around the time, we started cleaning up a no That's phenomenal. Zone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a lot of us thinking around like where and what and, and how um, communities work in collaborative way was, was learned. In South Africa, you know, we use the language of Ubuntu, mm-hmm. yes, which means I am right. because you are, you right. are interconnectedness. Right. And that's been the foundation of thinking and approach of setting up all impact hubs around the world. And the thing is about those impact hubs have sourced co-working spaces that are kind of like commonplace. Now, any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, But it was really um, sourced by the kind of social change movement. Yeah. And now people have adopted that as... Yeah, and, and I think kind of we, like as a way of working, and, and also as our ways of working has altered. But yeah, totally. I kind think of you like, know, the future of, of work, like co-working space, show is is a hint to what the future of work will and can be. Mm-hmm. But also for me, there's a difference between co-working hu- spaces and hubs. Co-working spaces right. can be a hot desk. You roll up your hot desk yeah. and you leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hubs are intentional communities. Right. We're coming together to, to solve various social systems, be it around food security or where and how we work in South Africa. The future of mining is yeah. under question. Yes. Um, there's water, issues around water. You know, so co-working, the co-working element is a, a means to the end. It's mm-hmm. a means to convening mm-hmm. people. To get, okay. To get together. Yeah. yeah. And so when you, when you were... Leading and because you still have some involvement in the impact hubs, and how do you determine what's the um, area that you're focusing in on? You know, because you said it's, sure. there's various ones. So if you're if in different locations, how do we? How do they decide sure. to focus? So I set up Impact Hub Johannesburg around 2010, mm-hmm. and in fact, I have recently stepped out of the operating team. So the new team needs to drive the vision around where they need to take it, but. For me, the reason why I set it up in Johannesburg is if you look at still like post-apartheid, mm-hmm. we're also learning to live and work together across diversity. Right. And for me, that needed to be the melting pot by uh, bringing people together across divides, socioeconomic, cultural, political um, divides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we would create dialogues, we would invite people to have a way of almost experiencing being together in a different way mm-hmm. while creating opportunities for each other. And, you know, it has evolved and has a different need now than when I set it up. Okay. And like I, said, I don't want to influence right now, like being the, pul- the, the founder that clings on to the vision. So yeah. the team will evolve and mold it 
um, as, as needed. Go, yes. um, so right now, like I say, Chimulokong Precinct is my, my work, main work. I'm applying the same thinking around social change, but looking at where and how uh, digital innovation can drive and support change. Yes. Um, I also have Leslie Williams Consultings, which is my, my baby. So I do all sorts of, of, of projects through them, whatever gives me joy in the moment. Yeah. Um, I do quite a bit of, of dialogue, process dialogue work, MC uh, moderation mm-hmm. kind of work, whatever gives me joy in the moment. So, yeah. And so when, um, if you think about, so you're coming to the end of that cycle with... Um, impact hubs your relationship in the way that you've had it what are you most proud of Mm. about that time because it's a significant part of your time so i have you're right i've spent most of my my adulthood (laughs) with impact hub so from 2002 you know uh, so it is a long time and um, i mean i'm not shy i'm 39 now so Mm. i was about 22 when i got involved so i am incredibly proud of how the community stood together in various iterations of the Impact Hub network. It is locally owned by local entrepreneurs who create and, and develop the business model against, uh, uh, based on what their local needs are. Okay. And for me, that is what's super clear and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Um, so we don't, we don't over-subscribe uh, what the model should mm-hmm. be at a local level, but each one needs to contribute to the mm-hmm. part. I have incredibly close friendships and I'll continue to, those are friendships for life. Mm-hmm. I just had, I was exchanging um, a WhatsApp this morning with my, with my former flatmate who was also involved in Impact Hub, <laughs> and he's in San Francisco, you know, so that forms of connectivity takes you into various places in life, and the thinking, and, and I would say I was groomed in the Impact Hub network, we're taking that thinking into different places yeah, of the world, yeah. even though we're using different brands, we weaving that that intentionality into other other forms of work. Right. So if you think about what the strands of um, the impact hub kind of what I want to say, like the underpinning. If you had to say the three things that are the strands mm-hmm. of impact hub that you ca- you are carrying into your other work, what what would you say mm-hmm. they are? So the one. That the theme that, I, that is most recent and that struck a huge chord is uh, the ability to work with unlikely allies. Huh, say that again. Unlike. The ability to work with unlikely allies. allies. Yes. Okay. So, when, what, okay. Wow. what okay, that basically means, that, and in fact, for a few years, I'm not sure if it's still going, there's been the annual unlikely allies conference. And what that basically means is that to, sh- to solve systems, you cannot always work with like-minded people. Okay, yes. So you may have an opposing view to someone else, but we do need to find a way to work together or collaborate in opposition. Right. And in fact, I mean, I'm thinking a lot about Nelson Mandela uh, being a centenary. If you look at the transition from apartheid, and, right. and we're still dealing with a lot mm-hmm. of those issues, his ability to see the complexity Amazing. of working with opposition and right. look deep into their lives and finding ways where we can work together. Yeah. That's unity. And and we need to find that touch point. We can, social change is not for privileged few and we cannot become um, cliques, if you like, mm-hmm. exclusive cliques mm-hmm. of like-minded people working separately. We need to find each other. And I think, you know, for me, that's, that's a real strong theme for me I take away from, from Impact Hub. 
Um, another. I love that. Sure. I just yes. want to kind of just pause around that because there's a couple of things for me when you say this. It's very, it really is, this, and in this current context in the US, I think it has, um, where, we, where, I'm, where I live, you know, yes. it has real resonance as well. That where that we we can get our support from our the allies that we know and love, you know what I mean. But the movement can only happen when we go beyond that into yeah. the unlike yeah, allies. I love that. And the other thing is, which is in, very uncomfortable and right, it's very very hard. So it's hard, yeah, yeah hard conversations yeah. and hard relationships to navigate and be in. And the other thing is one of the um I. So we're facilitating at the moment, and one of our guiding principles is two um, percent of truth, right? That Martha um, introduces and talks about is that is that even when we disagree with someone, or uh, are finding it very difficult to understand why they are coming from a holding a particular stance or coming from a particular position, that can we find two percent of truth in what mm. they're saying? And if we can locate and find the 2% of truth, then there's that little bit of overlap that we can, from that place, hmm. build um, from there. And rather than just kind of totally dismiss well, them and who they are, right? Yeah, and to stay in relationship. And that's the key thing, is how can you stay in relationship, yeah. even when there's a part of you that is totally horrified <laughs> by the 98% that you can't mm. be with. Right. Instead, focus on the 2% that you can be with. Yeah. Yeah. In um, Adam Cahane's book, Collaborating with the Enemy, he's, he says that, you know, sometimes we can't find connecting principles to work with initially, but sometimes it takes just starting and getting to work and, and, building momentum and experimenting, working with each other right. and then drawing the principles from that. Right. Like building them together as we as we work together. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, quite often we, especially some of us who are in, in the change agent work and, and facilitators, and, and for me, like, we have to, we absolutely have to build a container yeah, yeah, of yeah, common yeah, principles yeah, yeah, and we need yeah, to develop yeah. them. Like, I feel yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm quite, it's almost sacred to me. Yeah. You know, so for me, that book kind of challenges my thinking and says, like, well, what if we don't find those common principles and we need to work together anyway? You know, so True. for me, that it encourages me to sometimes act and then reflect and say, okay, what can we draw from acting and learn from that and then develop principles from there? So it takes trust, though, doesn't it? Yeah, and you don't trust in the process at least as a minimum. You trust yes. in the process that's going to lead to that, even if you're not in the moment of trusting in in the relationship yet. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and like I say, in the context we are now in in, in the US, where there's a lot of distrust, mm -hmm. and and that's what what I love about. I'm going to be reflecting on that quite a bit. The two percent of truth to see where and how are those pockets where we can almost blow in two <laughs> percent right like but it needs to be authentic yeah exactly you, you well it reminds me of, well i don't know if this is an urban myth but um when i one of the stories that i heard about desmond tutu um in the reconciliation work that he led was he'd start with can we agree that it's Wednesday at 6 30 mm. like he would start with saying something that is fact-based that is obvious 
that you can't disagree with as a way of um, getting agreement around the... T- Let's start on a basis of agreeing of something. Mm. And then so we all know it's Tuesday. We all know it's this time, yes. you know? So there was something about how do we create connection and agreement? And he'd start with something like that. And it, it was... I said, as I said, I don't know, it's an admit thing like that. It doesn't yeah. do, do that. But <laughs> if he didn't, he should have. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I, I say that to kind of understand that the moments of overlap, that we seek overlap, and whether that's in, in change as change agents, addressing really some of those hard, tough issues, or whether that's in our own interpersonal, personal relationships when we are challenged in inside of work or outside of work like what is it that we can where can we find the, mm. the, the common space yeah, even if it's just tiny space and I think it's also about like remembering to be human mm. and the, the reason why I name that is because I find myself in the tech world which is rapidly changing and there is a different way that I would say the tech community speak and the venture capital community speak it's kind of like cool, fast-paced, get to it, elevator pitch, be snappy, be on the point. And sometimes it strips us from our humanity, mm. you know. So there is a way in, in, I would say, the mainstream change maker space versus the tech community that has a different kind of communication style. Right. And sometimes I forget to be my human change agent self in the tech fraternity. Um, um, and sometimes it comes through in little things, even in, in, in South Africa, and it's sometimes highly annoying and it's, it's quite cultural, where somebody calls you and it first starts with, hello, how are you doing? Like this like long exchange of relationship building between, until you get to the point. Okay. And even right now, as someone who has been groomed and trained and been intentional all these years about building intentional relationships... Mm-hmm. I'm getting annoyed now. And I'm like, what's the point? Get to the point. I'm not pausing and building the relationship. Right, right. And I know and I've seen that it is far more sustainable to build the relationship. Yes. That is the foundation before getting to it. Exactly. <laughs> On a foundation of relationship, I mean, we cannot, cannot, cannot underestimate the power of relationship yeah. and being in relationship. And on the foundation of relationship, there's so much that can get accomplished and achieved. And as a whether professional or personal, yes. like where you put your attention and when there's a breakdown in that, it's really hard to get any yeah. kind of results that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of the, what they say is an African yeah. proverb about if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yeah, yeah. 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 So then um, you talk about, this as a, how about as a black woman in the tech space? Mm. I'm curious about your experience of that because STEM, you know, I mean, the whole kind of STEM space has been like encouraging, trying to get more women in the space, number one, but more black women in the space, which is a very rare breed. So what is that and how do you, how do you navigate that? What's your experience? So I suffered from imposter syndrome for the longest time and it's continuously proved. Number one, I do not come from a tech background and you know, so for me, that was a lot of my own hiccup, but it was kind of reinforced in, in certain spaces. A lot of the time I spend in, in boardrooms, even in client, client meetings, where it could be about 13, 20 people in the meeting, and I'm often the only female, mm-hmm. um, and then still the only black female. 
sometimes where there are even white women, they sometimes someone's assistant. Um, right. And also not owning their space within the room. So it's been quite, quite isolating. Um, about a couple of months ago, I got selected by the, the Dutch government has some award called Inspiring 50, uh, co-create. And they basically take the top 50 women in the country that's inspiring the tech domain or in the STEM field. Right. And by the way, I believe in STEAM because the arts is very important for the future of work. Yeah, you know? So that's yeah. what I'm, I'm promoting yeah. um, at the moment. So co-create basically believes that like what you see, you can be. Mm-hmm. So basically by me being in the forefront, I was inspiring uh, inspiring young black women to step into the into the space as well. Where my confidence started growing is I, I realized that initially when I would be in meetings and ask questions, sometimes my view would be undermined because, oh, you're not you're not a tech person. Right. You don't understand it. And some a few incidences occurred where my thoughts and my questioning was not fully acknowledged and it had unintended consequences in the long run. But if my questions were adequately responded to, we would have picked up fault in the equation. Right. So based on that and me realizing that I should have stood my ground in those moments that my questions were valid, I could have saved the company millions if I spoke up. Wow. And for me, that was the basically the end of, <laughs> of imposter syndrome because that financial consequences. Was so big that yeah. it woke you up to yeah. the power of your own voice the and the importance voice, of it. And seeing that I'm, I am a translator yeah. between the, the, the user experience yep. and the coder. Yeah, that's powerful because I think that the, so then it's really understanding what is it that I'm bringing what, versus what is it that someone else is bringing to the table, right? Yeah. And that um, not being from the same background brings something else that is not at the table at Despite the time. Despite again to the richness and the contribution of diversity, exactly. diverse voices and the roles within that as well. So that when, whenever, because I know that I've held imposter syndrome, at different points in my um, time and that so many and it's a thing that many black women grapple with when they finally get a seat at the table somewhere um, so the question is what is it that I'm bringing that's not being brought mm-hmm. and how do I honour that Yeah. versus dismissing dismissing that yeah and, and I think it's also about knowing yourself there, there is this kind of tension between being the pioneer within that space and holding the space of, of discomfort so others can feel more comfortable, but not to the point where you're overexerting yourself where it's not good for you any longer. Right. And that is yeah. something I'm oh, to... Yes. Can you say that again? Yes. Can <laughs> <laughs> they do that here in the US? Go. Yeah, so um, maybe I'll, I'll just take it back to a few years ago where... I needed, I was going through quite a bit of of change and transition, and I've had six months debilitating burnout. Um, When I I shut down Impact Hub in 2015, I wanted to own the narrative, so put out a press release speaking about all our failure. (laughs) And I basically became the face of failure. I was interviewed by so many magazines, spoken lots of panel, and I literally became the face of entrepreneurial failure at home um, and then I had my burnout and then people wanted my, my recovery story which was, which was a lot 
But in that moment of deciding where and what to do, and by the way, Impact Johannesburg has since been relaunched with other partners, but um, I realized that for so many years, my guiding question was how do I create affirming work environments for others? Okay. And the moment I shifted that question around how do I create affirming work environment for myself and others, yeah. things had to radically change. But that was an uncomfortable question to put myself in the heart of that and right. as a priority within that. And so in having your attention on self as well as having your attention on others and then if what you need is missing then you can't yeah. act right you yeah. have to pay attention to yourself you, you can't yeah. act well I mean you can act well you can act self. but then there's the ri- there's the, the the burnout is likely to come yeah, eventually yeah what's the expense right? for self right you know because right. you can only do it for so long or fake it so exactly. long. otherwise it becomes self-harming and that isn't good for the collective in the long run no. well you're not around to do your, yeah. the work that you've been called to do yeah yeah that's they're, they're a really tough lesson. Right? You do not want to learn that lesson yeah. firsthand. Yeah. You'd rather yeah, learn the lesson from someone else's experience and have to learn that firsthand. But that's such a powerful lesson too. And, and I think, you know, some of these lessons aren't once off. We need to be careful that it doesn't cycle. But mm-hmm. when I catch myself going that way I remember the initial experience and I pull myself yeah, you know, yeah. back there. it's almost like self-actualization you haven't self-actualized full stop yeah. like there's always an opportunity to learn exactly. and grow in the same way be it failure or uh, disappointment or sometimes even in dating relationships you're like I've dated this person again before like <laughs> I know this doesn't work for me. you know so having the wisdom to then Cut it and move it up right. along much faster. Right. Well, one in my current one of the things I'm dealing with or looking at, like so, I set goals for myself each year, and I and uh, one of the goals that I'm really looking and working on is my self care, my well being. And one of the things that I notice is in the past I've had it as a kind of like a broad goal. Of course, I'm taking care of myself, and that will mean, or oh, I might, you know, have yoga or I have my attention on my food or I have mm-hmm. but I hadn't really like I do with my work looked at it holistically in terms of if I want to feel this way if I want to look this way if I want to have a yeah. vision of my life that looks a particular way what are the things that I need to be doing and paying attention to in my in my well-being and mm-hmm. self-care to get to that outcome it was really interesting for me this year that to really see that I had been very piecemeal in the way really that I've been managing mm. that goal whereas that is not the way that I am around my work yeah which is far more comprehensive around my plan and I'm working my plan mm. so now I've like looked at that and see the plan and I'm gradually introducing bringing things on into my plan that I would that I would normally do around my self-care like monthly massages never done that who does that? Should should more. But now but it's just like. I have a question. Yeah. Has has your like in your evolving workflow and stream? Mm-hmm. Does your need for self care look the same now than it did even three years ago? Or have your needs shifted? Has my needs? I think my needs. I think the needs have been there. It's just that I haven't been paying enough attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um. 
uh, and that I, if I look at my workflow now, I travel much more. I had a lot of travel, then I kind of pulled it back and I travel a lot. And with that, increases what I need to do. Because I know that travel sounds really glamorous. Yeah, it's so exhausting. Like, and, and when you're working, and this is like a first world problem. Yes, I mean, I it's like a first world problem. So this is not like, you know, for me, I really kind of, I'm really mindful of that. It's not, yeah, it's a first world problem. Right, it's, but... Um, really being paying attention to my self-care paying attention to how much sleep I'm getting what I'm eating it's very hard to kind of eat well and consistently on the road so those things the it's increased the need to focus on that now and the need to look to the future to say what is it that I want to accomplish and what I'm working working yes. on and and so what how how much more I need to pay attention to that so that I'm well and and also when I get home from work from my travel, I'm not just being exhausted mm. with my family yeah, because yeah. then they just get exhausted, Shirley, yeah. or exhausted, Mummy, instead of getting like a more kind mm. of balanced me. No, I ask because I think you know for me three years ago it was a, it was enough for me to have a Sunday off where I don't think or look at work. Like now I need all of my weekend off. Plus seven hours sleep right, at right, night. You right. know, so I don't think, even if we, we, if we have a self-care plan now, it may evolve yeah. with, with other. Yeah. For me, also, it includes my family at large. I mean, in South Africa, we call we call it black tax. Uh, we're saying black tax, which is basically means that for, for many of us, we're the first generation um, educated, right. post-apartheid education, like... Um, postgraduate education level black people mm-hmm. I'm fumbling but anyway forgive me yeah. <laughs> and um, so many of us have to take care of our parents make sure our parents have a home many of us are buying our parents their home we're buying our first home and often there is um, a younger sibling that needs to mm. needs care as well so right. before you take care of your own personal needs you're also supporting the broader community of you right and I think like for me that is a huge inhibitor of, of many people becoming entrepreneurs because you're almost right. forced to have a well-paying corporate job to take care of the family at large. Right. So I'm fortunate that I'm at the point now in my career where I can probably earn well as an entrepreneur to take care of family needs and my own. But for me, the foundation of self-care, should I ever leave employment, is that I step into a position where my family's needs are taken care of which frees up my mental space. Yes. That's part of my mental well-being to then do other things. Right. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. So that was the first half of the conversation that I had with Leslie. And, you know, there's so much in here and I'm just struck by how at such a young age, Leslie had already started to vision for herself like what she wants and um in her life and that so much of what we discussed around her learning in growing up if you like in the world of the impact hub social entrepreneurship and social enterprise and all the lessons that it's taught her um for herself so far there is more rich conversation coming in the second part that is coming out in the next couple of days so listen look out for that 
Um, if you are loving the show, then please rate and review the show on iTunes and anywhere you listen to your, this podcast. It makes a difference. The other thing that makes a difference if you share She's Got Drive with someone or some people in your life who you think would love listening to the show. So please share the show and let as many people know about it as possible. Um, and the third thing, I just want to remind you, you know, we talk about vision in ourselves. We talk about, you know, when I talk about what's driving me in my life, you know, when I keep sharing the things that I'm taking on, you know, those things come out of me setting goals, me visioning my life and me figuring out what's the life that I want to live and taking steps towards that. So I want to remind you that I have the goalkeeper, the four-step goalkeeper that you can always download. It's in the show notes. The link is in the show notes because it's if you want to live a life that's with intention and if you want intention to meet opportunity, you have to plan for that. You have to vision that. And so this is a tool that will help you get one step closer to visioning your um, goals and, and getting the life that you want. If you want to get hold of me, you can contact me on my Instagram. Uh, you can DM me there. Or you can always contact me through my website, shirleymacalpine.com forward slash contact me. And I will um, obviously respond to, to you. I love hearing from everyone who gets in contact with me. So I appreciate it so much. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Go well and stay well.